Let's pray. Loving Lord God, speak into our hearts and minds this day that we might learn more of your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in 2001, the World Methodist Council was held in Brighton, which is where I was living. I grew up in Brighton. And as a part of that time of um, doing some work and celebration and worship, uh, they invited the Methodist Association of Youth Clubs, MAYC as it was, their orchestra and singers uh, to take part in one of the acts of worship. Now, I wasn't a member of that group, but they invited uh, youth from the uh, youth groups in the circuit in Brighton to go and join them. Uh, hard as it may be to believe, I was a youth at that time, and so I went and joined in for this performance. And what was being performed was a selection of songs from a musical called Hopes and Dreams. Uh, you may have heard of it, and I remember uh, that title song really clearly. And one of the lines went like this. Yours is the kingdom of hopes and dreams. Yours is the power of love. Yours is the glory of heaven on earth forever and ever. Amen. Wonderful words. And that musical was written in the late 1990s, 1998-1999. Um, and as I said, it was called Hopes and Dreams. And the subtitle was a new musical for the millennium. And it was devised by Rob Frost, and the music was written by Graham Kendrick and Paul Field. So very singable music, as you would imagine. And the idea was that this musical would be performed all around the country uh, in the millennium, in the year 2000, uh, by churches and youth groups and schools, and that did indeed happen. I understand that Tony played Jesus in one performance, isn't that right? <laughs> In visions, oh, he had to grow a beard apparently. Uh, anyway, Hopes and Dreams was this wonderful musical and Rob Frost said this about it. Hopes and Dreams is a way of involving the whole community in marking the millennium. It's a 70 minute music and drama presentation about new hope for the world based on the words of the Lord's Prayer. Well, I wonder what your hopes and dreams were in the millennium 23 years ago, if you were alive then, one or two who weren't. But if you were, what were your dreams? What did you think your life would be 23 years later? I have to say, my life doesn't look like I thought it would. I definitely wouldn't have imagined that I'd be standing here preaching a sermon to you. I had a very different vision of what my life would be. Not worse or better, just different. But sometimes our dreams and our hopes are dashed. We don't have the things in life that we think we're going to. Our dreams don't pan out quite as we hope they will. And that is certainly true for the people of God in the reading that we heard from Ezekiel. Their lives are not what they had hoped they would be. They're living in exile after Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem. Their dreams have been dashed. They've been taken away from their own land. They've lost their monarchy. And after 10 years in exile, news has reached them of the second siege of Jerusalem. And this time, the temple has been captured and destroyed. All hope is lost. 
There is nothing to look forward to, nowhere to return to. Of course, we now know, don't we, looking back, that a new temple would be built. But those people didn't know that. This seemed to be the end of all things. The anchors for their relationship with God, the land, the king, and the temple have all been lost. Despair has come upon the people. They are not a people of hopes and dreams. Well, most of them aren't. Here we find the prophet Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is still dreaming. He is still having visions from God. His mind and heart are still open to what God might be saying and doing. And so the people come to him. They say, Ezekiel, share your dreams with us. Give us your vision, for we have lost ours. And so he shares the vision he has had. The hand of the Lord is upon me, he says. Well, it's a pretty good start, isn't it? We'll take that. God is here. God is with us. But then, God took me to this huge, desolate valley. And it was full of bones. Dry, dead bones. Well, I'm fairly certain that is not what the people had hoped to hear. I can almost hear them wailing, a valley of death? God took you to a valley of dry bones? We knew it. It's the end of the world. But of course, that wasn't the end of the vision. It was just the start. A question comes from God. Can these bones live? Can they become alive again? Ezekiel is a man of God. He is a man of vision, and he knows that with God anything is possible. And so he gives the answer that perhaps only he could. Only you know, he says. And so God does indeed make the bones live again. He tells Ezekiel to prophesy, to tell the bones to live. They are brought together sinew to sinew, ligament to ligament, flesh to flesh. The language seeks to say something of the visceral nature of the vision. Bone coming to bone, rattling as joints come together, mending, becoming whole again. Well, almost, for something is missing. There are no longer bones filling the valley. The dry bones have been given flesh, and people are there. But there's no life, no animation no breath. So God told Ezekiel to prophesy again to the breath, to the four winds to come, to enter the people. And he did. And the people stood, a vast army. Life has been given. The bones are no longer dry. The valley of death has been turned into a valley of life. Notice God doesn't pick up Ezekiel and move him to a different valley that was already full of life. Nor does God remove the bones and bring in living, animated people. New life is brought to them where they are. In the midst of their dryness, through their death, God brings life. I'm sure that we have all experienced our own valleys Places where there seems to be no hope, no life, only dry bones. Places where it seems as though all hope has been lost. 
God says to Ezekiel, these bones are the people of Israel. I know that they think that all hope is lost, that there's no point in dreaming, but God says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. God said that to the people then and he says it to us now. He says it to you. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. The people had limited God to what they had known in the past, to the land and to the temple, to their previous patterns and understanding of how God was with them and how God would work in them. But in this vision, God demonstrates that he is beyond those things. God isn't limited by our hopes and dreams or our lack of them. And that is true for us now as well. I wonder if we limit God by our own lack of dreams and hope. Do we assume that God can and will only act as God always has? Do we miss God working in the world because we're only looking in the same old places? Well, in our gospel reading, the chief priests and the Pharisees They had a limited vision too, didn't they? Narrow hopes and dreams of who God was and where God could and would work. The people were living under Roman rule. There was a status quo, a peace of sorts. But it was dependent on Israel knowing their place, staying in line, not pushing their occupiers too far. And of course, the people knew their history. They knew their history, that they had been taken into exile, that they had once lost their land and their home. So it's understandable that they don't want to make too much of a fuss, to rock the boat too hard. These Jewish leaders at the time were worried about the consequences of Jesus' actions. The people were beginning to listen to him, to pay attention to what he did and to what he said. Just prior to this conversation that we heard in our gospel reading today, Jesus has done an amazing thing, performed a wonderful miracle. He has raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus weeps over his friend, that famous verse, Jesus wept. And deeply moved, he goes to the tomb where Lazarus is laid and calls for him to come out, and he does. And John tells us that many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Jesus is causing a bit too much of a fuss, drawing attention to himself. And so a meeting is called, what are they going to do about this Jesus problem? Rather than being filled with joy at what God is doing in and through Jesus, healing and feeding, even raising from the dead, they're not filled with joy. They're terrified. Their hearts are hardened. Jesus is a problem to be solved rather than a sign sent from God. And so it's into that context that Caiaphas says, You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. 
And so they began plotting Jesus' death. Caiaphas did not understand his own words. Jesus died for us, each one of us, that we might have life in all its fullness. Nails were hammered into his hands and his feet for you and for me. But that is not what Caiaphas meant. He was caught up in his own vision of the world that he couldn't see that God was working. God was calling the people to bigger dreams, to higher hopes, to more than the uneasy peace with often cruel occupiers. They were, and we are, being called to be filled with the breath of God, called into the reality of God's kingdom of hopes and dreams that offer us life in all its fullness. And so, as our Lenten journey nears its climax on Good Friday, we are reminded that we are not called to be people that remain in the valley of dry bones, in places of death. We are called to be Easter people, people of resurrection and new life, people filled with hopes and with dreams, people called to journey with Jesus, to go forward through death and into new life. Amen.